Welcome to this week's sermon from Spark. We are a community who believes we are deeply loved by God and seek to welcome, support, love, and serve every person we meet. We hope this message has something for you today. All right. So I have a question as we begin this morning. What does it mean to be worthy? Does anyone have any ideas of what it means to be worthy? Yeah. Trust? Mm-hmm. What else? Good enough? Mm-hmm. Did you say something, Mr. Joe? Accountable. Okay. Yeah. Doing what's right, even if others think it's wrong, so that some integrity is attached to worthiness. Yes. To be part of something. Yeah. Do something that others might not be able to. That's a good definition. Interesting. Anything else? Those are good. So a lot of times we attach worthiness, especially when we're talking about a person, to determine whether a person is worthy or not. Um, it's about trust and whether we think someone deserves something. That's kind of those are the two words that we usually attach. And we might think that someone is worthy if their character is good, if there's someone who does the right thing even when other people are watching. They've proven themselves through past actions to be someone who's trustworthy or different kinds of characteristics like that. In the opposite way, we could say that someone is not worthy if for some reason they have given us a reason not to trust them or they are maybe someone we don't judge as having a good character. And a lot of that comes through our relationships with people. We might be more generous and kind and giving to someone who we think is worthy of it than to someone who we feel will not, will take advantage of it or will not honor or respect it or see it as valuable, right? And we have kind of come up with that idea, right? As human beings, we interact with others based on how worthy we find them of our love and care and attention. And we kind of disregard other people who we don't feel are worthy of our love and care and attention. So we're going to keep talking about this idea of worthiness, which I realize the more you repeat that word, the weirder it sounds, like worthy, worthy. It just, I don't know, it's kind of one of those words that when you hear it a lot of times, it gets stuck in your mouth. But stick with me, and I'm going to try to make sure that I say it correctly every time. But we're going to read from the book of, Math, uh, book of Luke a story, and I want you to pay attention to where the word worthy pops up. Who's saying it? What are, who are they saying it about or to? And, and what does that mean? So let's, we're going to open to um, the book of Luke chapter 7. It'll be up on the screen as well in verse 1. So after Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he, the centurion, heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to Jesus, asking Jesus to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earlier. 
he, meaning the centurion, is worthy of happiness for him. For he loves and it is he who our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So where did we see those words, the word worthy? It appeared twice. Say it louder. Okay. When... When someone was talking about saving him, say, say more. Okay, so the Jewish leaders say that the centurion is worthy of having his um, slave healed. I'm going to take this off. Blake, can you all switch to the liturgist? It's driving me crazy. It's fine. Okay. So there's one time where the centurion is declared as worthy, right? And then there's another time. What else? When was the other time? Yes. Okay. So there's one time where it said he is worthy and another time where they say he's not. Right? And the people who say he is worthy are the Jewish elders that come to talk to Jesus. And then the people that say he's not worthy are the friends of the centurion who come and try to speak on his behalf. So we're going to break this down. We're going to kind of like boop, rewind, start at the beginning. Centurion. Who's a centurion? We've got to know about our characters, our people, and understand who they are to understand what these interactions are really about. So a centurion would have been a Roman soldier who was responsible for 100 other soldiers. That's where the cent comes in, like century, centurion, right? So he's responsible for 100 soldiers, and he is Roman. And if you know things about history, the Roman Empire was a real big deal. They were very wealthy. They, like, sent out armies all over the Middle East and all over the world, in Europe at the time, and they conquered cities, and they took them over, and they expanded the Roman Empire, and it was huge. So the Roman soldiers, these centurions in the town would have not necessarily been like people that the people of the town were like, yeah, they're cool. They would have been more like the representatives of the Roman Empire who had come and conquered your people. So people weren't particularly huge fans of them. You know what I'm saying? So we need to know that. And then there's this other layer. So the Roman centurions, the Roman empire was not Jewish in their faith practices, 
right? So in the Bible, there's a lot of division and a lot of distinguishing between the Jewish people and all the other people, right? And the Jewish people were people who worship God, the same God that you and I worship. All the other people worshiped multiple gods or other gods or deities or um, the Greek mythology stuff, like all that other things. They worshiped those people. So there, it was important for the Jewish people to distinguish themselves from the other folks in their day-to-day life. And some of that was important because they were representatives of God. So they wanted to be able to be noticed as, oh, those are people who believe in the God that we believe in. And so they did different practices and ways of living, and that set them apart from everybody else so that everyone would know that they worship this God, not the other gods. So it was important sometimes. But we see when Jesus comes on the scene that Jesus tries to blur this line between the Jewish people and the Gentile people, because that was what they called this group, the Gentile people. And that Jesus oftentimes encountered and let in the Gentile people in ways that previously were not done, right? And Jesus says, I've come even for you. And Jesus kind of learned that through his ministry, which I think is fascinating. But anyway, so the Roman centurion would have been a Gentile not a Jewish person, would have been a government representative, not everybody's BFF, right? And those things are important to know. So when he has his slave who is really gravely ill, he sends people, Jewish elders, to go talk to Jesus about it. And Jesus is in Capernaum, which is a town that he had gone to multiple times. There's a synagogue there that he preached to. He had done healings there where the, remember when the leper was like lowered through the roof of the friend's house? Like that all happened in Capernaum. So Jesus has been to this town before. So this Roman centurion might have seen Jesus before or know who knows who Jesus is. And so he sends Jewish elders to go talk to Jesus. It's like when you have a crush on somebody and you send your BFF to go talk to them about it instead of talking about them yourself because you're too nervous to go do it. Yeah, so he sends the Jewish elders to go talk to Jesus because he knows that the Jewish elders and Jesus are like, cool, right? So he's like, I don't know how, if Jesus is cool with me, so I'm going to send these people who I know are cool with Jesus, and they're going to tell him that I'm cool. So they go, and they do that. They kind of vouch for him. They say he is worthy of having Jesus heal his servant because he loves the people, meaning like he's kind to the people in the town, and he gave them money for their synagogue, So like the Roman centurions at the time, that was one way that they would win the favor of the people. If all the people are mad at you for coming and taking over a town, one way to make them happier with you is to make their life a little bit better. And so they would build things and do infrastructure stuff and like, you know, supply clean water and all that kind of thing so that then the people would start to like them more. So this particular centurion had contributed money so that they could build their synagogue, their church, their place of worship. So the Jewish elders go to... Jesus and are like, he's been helpful. So he's worthy of you coming and healing his slave. So Jesus is like, okay. So he goes towards the house of the centurion. And on the way, he's met again by other friends of the centurion who come up to him and say, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. The centurion says that you're not, he, that he is not worthy of you coming into his home to heal the servant. And this is, again, another way that we can think about this centurion as probably being someone who's a little more humble than you might assume by knowing that he's a centurion. He says, I know I'm not worthy of you coming into my home because, remember that whole, like, us versus them, Jewish versus Gentile situation? There was a rule that if a Jewish person entered the home or the building with Gentile people, that they would be considered unclean for a period of time. So it's kind of like right now when we have to go into quarantine, they would have to stay away from other people for a few days and go through some ritualistic practices to then be considered clean again. So the centurion knows that if Jesus comes into his house, he's going to be held back from his ministry for a few days while he goes through the process of becoming clean again. And so the centurion says, I know that I'm not worthy of having you come into my house, that this is not a normal thing that happens. But... I know what it is to have authority, and I know that you, Jesus, have authority because I am a person of authority. I tell my soldiers, go, and they go, and I say, come, and they come. And so I know that you have the authority from where you're standing right now to simply say the word, and my slave will be healed. This is the message that the centurion sends through his friends to Jesus. And it catches Jesus off guard. It says that Jesus is amazed by this statement. He's amazed at the faith of the centurion who says, I know that even from where you're standing, you have the authority to heal my slave. This is someone who is not of the Jewish faith, doesn't necessarily proclaim God as God, doesn't go to worship, all that kind of stuff is saying, I know that you, Jesus, can do this and that you don't even have to come into my house, which is a big deal because previously, most of the other healing stories that we hear, Jesus like goes up to people and lays hands on them and touches them and heals them. So this man has not seen Jesus, you know, just stand somewhere and be like, be healed and somebody's healed. And then we see at the very last sentence of the passage that we read that that's exactly what happens. The friends go back to the centurion's house and the slave as well. But this story isn't really about the healing. This story isn't really about the fact that Jesus healed somebody from far away. It's about this interaction between Jesus and the centurion that kind of happens in between with all these messengers. It's about the fact that Jesus never says anything about the worthiness of the man, right? The only thing that Jesus acknowledges is the man's faith. Because that idea of worthiness comes from our own human processing and trying to decide where we're gonna spend our energy. And God is beyond that idea of whether or not we're worthy. I think a lot of us, when we are in need of God's help, when we find ourselves in situations or circumstances that are hard or difficult, where we might like pray and ask for God's help or we're in need of healing, so often one of the things that gets in our way is our own feeling, our own belief that we're not worthy, 
that somehow we are too broken or too messed up or too beyond the healing love of God. That if God knew really, if we really were honest with God about all the mess of our lives, that God wouldn't actually intervene. God wouldn't love us. God wouldn't forgive us. God wouldn't heal us. But friends, that's simply not true. I know I get in my head about stuff sometimes and I feel like an imposter. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome where it's like, who am I to stand up here and preach to people when, you know, I'm not perfect? Or um, I get in my head about thinking like if people only knew like certain things about me, then they wouldn't love me anymore. Or if um, like the thing that I did is like the worst thing that any human's ever done in the history of humans, right? We, we have these thoughts that, or even things, things about like who we are and what we look like, that we have thoughts that are negative about our, ourselves. And I'm grateful that I have like my husband who will look at me and say, Madeline, not every thought that you think is true. Not every thought that you think is true. So if you're in your head about the idea that God couldn't possibly, I'm here to tell you that's not true. The part that is true is that we can never do anything, and this is the part that's maybe frustrating for us because in our human understanding of how the world works, we think that if I do X, then I get Y, right? If I am good at school, I get an A. If I do my chores, then I might get my allowance. If I behave during youth group, Miss Betty will give me a piece of candy. We have kind of this, like, if I do this, then this will happen. And we use that in our prayer life with God. God, if you would just heal my mom, then I will pray every day. Or God, if you would just, then I will. You could fill in the blanks with whatever it is that we do. And we kind of try to do this bartering system with God of like, if I get what I need, then I will be. Or if I do this, God, will you please help X, Y, Z thing? But God doesn't care about our checks and our balances and our tick marks and our whether we're worthy or not. God doesn't keep score. Thank God. Thanks be to God, right? Because if God was up there with this like big chalkboard taking tick marks of like the good things versus the bad things, we would all be in all kinds of trouble all the time. God's not up there keeping score. And there's, the hard part is that there's nothing we can really ever do to fully earn the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the healing that God can offer us. We can't. We simply can't. And so our desperate efforts to try are just desperate efforts to try. Does that mean that we just do whatever we want and act however we want? No. Because we've talked about hypocrisy in the past, right, and how our goal is to live our faith in our everyday life. But... We forget that God loves us and sees us and doesn't operate under the human understanding of someone being worthy or being unworthy. What is important to God is our faith. And we see that in the story of the centurion. He believed it was possible, and then it happened. So for us, our response is not, what 15 acts of good kindness and love and generosity can I do in order to earn whatever it is that I need from God? Our to-do list should simply be, 
believe. Have faith that it is possible. And the centurion didn't even ever say, like, this God is the one true God and, like, talk about Jesus being the son of God or anything like that. All he said is, you are a person of authority. I know that you can do this. So we, too, can look to the heavens and say, you are a person of authority, and I believe that you can do this in my life. One of my most common prayers that I pray is, I can't, you can, please do. Very simple. Six words. I can't, you can, please do. Because I recognize there's so many parts of my life that I am not in control of, that I can't really change all of the circumstances around me. I know that God is able to, and so I ask God, please intervene in the way that you see fit. So maybe that's a prayer that would be helpful for you today. But today we're talking about this topic of feeling worthy because I recognize that so many of us, and I've talked to many of the youth that have come in and out of here over the past almost five years that I've been here, and the number one thing that gets in your way is that you have been told by someone somewhere along the line that you are not worth it, and you are. So I need you to take off your eyeballs, Pop them out and put God's in instead and see yourself the way that God sees you, which doesn't really make any sense because our eyeballs would say, well, I did this, 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 and this, and God says, hmm, do you believe? Do you recognize that that thing wasn't a good thing to do? Okay. Those are really the two questions that God asks. And so last week, we talked about resurrection and new life. And we shared that quote about how God constantly reaches into the dirt of humanity, the dirt, the the disbelief, the feeling unworthy, the addictions, the violence, the muck, whatever you could fill in the blank. And that God reaches into that and loves us back to life over and over again and pulls us up out of the dirt. And so our next sermon series is gonna be called resurrection. Because I want you all to know that God is constantly bringing us back to life in little ways, in big ways. It's not only on Easter Sunday, but it's every day of our lives. And so this morning, I needed you to hear, first and foremost, that you are worthy of that action. That God will do that for you. And then we're gonna hear more stories of God's healing work in the lives of people and how maybe we can look on our own lives and see how God is doing that or ask God to do that for us. Can we do that together? Can we believe it together? Let us pray. God, we confess that we don't understand what it is to be you and to look down on humanity and to see all of the mess and to still call us beloved and good and to love us, and to heal us, and to forgive us. God, sometimes we confess that we look in our own lives and wonder how all those same things are possible for us individually. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pour out over this place today and into the heart of each person here that they would know and see themselves as being worthy of your love, and that God, that their hearts would be moved to believe that it's possible. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow the link in the description below. Peace be with you. Yeah.